Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is a man who said, red means run, son. Numbers add up to nothing. Here's the happy boy himself and my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. How So for this episode, we're doing something a little different. Today's guest is one of our longtime loyal listeners. Please welcome to the podcast. Phil Berg. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, so do I call you Phil or do I call you Philip or what, what's the preference? Phil, uh, unless you, if you call me Philip, I'm going to have to call you mom. Okay. Well, we're... Usually we're, when I was young, when I was in trouble, it was Philip. I completely understand. Uh, I still hear Benjamin on occasion. So... <laughs> So uh, totally understand. All right. All right. Well, the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast, I ask the all important question. So we're going to start with you, Phil. What t-shirt are you wearing? I am wearing circa 1987-1988 Beat Farmers t-shirt from the Pursuit of Happiness tour. Perfect. Nice. All right. Going old, going old school. Does it does <laughs> it does it still fit? Barely. I, I, I had to steal it from my daughter because she took all my uh, old um, concert T-shirts. My, I had two uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan's, I had the Kinks, and, uh, and the Who 1982 tour T-shirt that she stole from me. I don't know what happened to those. So, <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Wayne, how about you? What T-shirt are you wearing? Uh, you know what? I wanted to represent California, so I'm wearing a Red Hot Chili Peppers shirt. Okay. All right. I almost wore my social D That's shirt cool. Cool. Uh, because it, it has the uh, the California license plate and, and I didn't. Um, I ended up uh, just pulling out of the closet my dropkick Trips Murphys. Nope, nope. That, that would have also been a good pick. That's another California band. But no, I went dropkick Murphys. It has absolutely nothing to do with beat farmers or California or anything like that. So uh, You can't go wrong with dropkick Murphy shirts. No. No. Yeah. So as I mentioned, uh, we're, we're shaking things up for this episode. So, so Phil, you sent me, you sent me a few different messages over the last year and you know, you kept asking me, Hey, when are you guys going to do an episode about the beat farmers? And since I'm not an expert on the band, uh, I finally just said, you know, why don't you join us for the episode? And so here we are. I feel, I feel very privileged. I mean, I, um, you know, it, uh, the Beat Farmers goes so back to when I was 17 and 18 years old in high school. And that's how far back I go with them. And it, it became a, uh, whatchamacallit, part of my life, I would think, and part of uh, my entire family's life at one point. I, um, growing up in San Diego, there was a lot going on in regards to the music scene. We had Eddie Vedder rolling around when, with one of his bands out there. My brother was in a band down there. And then in high school, my good friend Mark Tucker, who was currently in a band down there, he goes, uh, hey, listen to this stuff. And he pulled out a Beat Farmer's Tells of the New West album and uh, put on Happy Boy, and then that was hooked. And then I uh, never got to ever see him in bars, because obviously I wasn't 21 until 88 or so. And I uh, hit up a San Diego State and uh, went to a place called uh, The Back Door. And there was, um, I was walking in with my friend and this big old tall dude comes walking up to me and steps on my toe. And he goes, watch it, maggot, in a very deep voice. And my friend came over, you know who that is? I go, no. 
that's contradict Montana. And I knew who would contradict Montana was. And I was like, well, I'm not even going to bother to wash my feet for a week. Cause he's, you know, he's the one that's behind happy boy. And a lot of those uh, songs, and, you know, the, the oddball songs that you would hear on these albums and that. So he was kind of a, a main, he was the mainstay of, or the, uh, one of the founding members of the beat farmers. Right. Right. Um, the way I describe going to a beat farmers concert, even after I turned 21, I was able to go to some of the bars like the belly up or the Bacchanal down here. It was a more like a religious experience. You, you can't um, explain, you know, listen to the album. You don't really hear or understand what goes on until you go see them live. Yeah. And once you see them live, you're you know, when country Dick on Montana comes up and does happy boy or his version of Lucille. And you're like baptized. Now you're the beat farmer forever. And um, up until about 94, when I moved to Tucson, Arizona, for whatever awful reason, I uh, lost track. And then I came back from a high school reunion about 95. And I was driving down and I can picture where I was at, definitely in San Diego. I heard on their local radio rock station that, you know, Country, McDow- Country Dick Montana was, had passed away or was already passed away. And that shocked me right there. I knew that it was beef farmers was over. And, um, well, you know, fast forward to about maybe 2010, uh, I was uh, going through the, you know, Facebook and Google and all that stuff. I was curious whatever happened to the beef farmers. So I was throwing some names in there and Jerry Rainey came up and I saw that he was, in, had a, another band called the farmers. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh, they're still playing. And I, found out that you're playing in 18 over uh, or 18 and under uh, or all ages placed in San Diego and El Cajon. And I, I, I called up my wife at the time and say, we're going out to San Diego. So I left work early and put up the kids and in backseat, strapped them in and head down to San Diego. And uh, so I was surprised. The only person I recognized was Jerry Rainey. They had a whole different lineup, you know, from them. And, um, they played all the old beat farmer songs. Um, my kids, my, at the time, my daughter was about seven. My son about four or five. And they had a little dance floor right at the base to where they played. It was not a, a high rise stage or anything like that. So you were up and close with the band. And my kids were dancing around. My son had a Batman T-shirt. And then uh, my, son, my daughter had a, uh, a concert T-shirt that my dad had given her when she told her, told him that he was going to see the beat farmers and um, they were dancing up there. My daughter's very outgoing and all that stuff. And right. In, um, you know, during some of the songs, some of the, the band members were pointing at my daughter with the song of, you know, about the look, I guess at the t-shirt. And then during the intermission, Jerry Rainey and his wife, Mary Lee came up and to the table we were sitting at and, and asked us about um, the t-shirt where they got it from. Cause you know, obviously he recognized it. And, and that was when we really got into, um, you know, became, I guess, friends. Because um, back in the early 90s, before I moved to Arizona, I got my dad and my mom to go see the beet farmers at the belly up. The only reason was is that I wanted them to uh, need somebody to buy me my beer. And um, so we're up there. Country Dick came up, did his, his shtick. He did a song called Lucio, a cover from uh, Kenny Rogers basically destroyed the song and my dad was hooked. So you know, I took him a few other times. You know, it's, it's, that was his favorite song. He, he really enjoyed Country Dick Montana. Yeah. Oh, it good when things are going your way. Hey, hey, 
My little dog Spot got hit by a car. Hubba, 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 hubba. Put his guts in a box and put him in a drawer. Hubba, 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 hubba. Oh, I'm a happy boy. Happy boy. Oh, I'm a happy boy. Happy boy. Oh, ain't it good when things are going your way? Hey, hey. Going back to when my kids were introduced with them, to them, it, it became like a uh, we became part of the family because we kept going back and going back. And then the bassist, who his name is Chris Sullivan of the Farmers, he asked he asked us where you come from, northeast of Temecula. And he goes, where in the hell you is that? I go, you don't want to know. It's, <laughs> but anyways, and, and he showed our appreciation. His wife was a motel or hotel manager. We were able to get you know discounts in hotels when we came down, et cetera. And, that. and um, we uh, had to uh, be able to go on stage. My son and my daughter got pictures behind the drum kit with uh, with Joel, who is the drummer at, uh, with the Farmers. Very rainy, invited my son up to a stage door in one of the intermissions and to play harmonica. And uh, that, you know, that was really cool. And in the last, the last time we uh, saw them, they, uh, one of the singers set up a couple of mics and invited the kids up to play, to sing Happy Boy with the band. So it's, it's more like a, um, now it's more of a family than anything else. But yeah. I thought it was, it's really cool. And I felt when, once, once um, Wayne mentioned Happy Boy in one of the episodes, I think, I go, why don't you do something? That's when I started connecting you know, with you. So I, I felt that this is one of those bands that are really, oh, I say at that time underrated, but were very good, and then uh, that nobody knew about, but a lot of people know about. Uh, talking to Jerry, who set me up with a lot of information for this podcast on some of the songs and that, he said it's a we were popular. We, we did our tours, and we had a lot of following across the United States, Canada, and even in England, and. Uh, and I'm just I was befuddled. Why didn't they make it big? And you know, as we go along, I can tell you more about that. It's just it's like it's it's a shame how things worked out, and you know, some of the deaths and the, the band kind of moved it along to a different direction. I believe. So. Yeah, and I think that I was the one who brought up Happy Boy because I don't think Wayne, you you kind of had indicated that uh, you weren't familiar with these guys, correct? No, and you know, I want to say I have seen the name because I used to try to put together the uh, 91X year-end countdowns like all the way back to 89. And so they're they're big in San yeah, Diego. They were on a I know of those, yeah. Yeah, I know I've I know I've run across the name, but no, I, if you would have said name a song, I I would not have known one. Yeah. So so going back to what you were saying about Country Dick and his death that occurred in what 95 you said it was 94 and it was actually during the performance in canada and basically what it was it was the craziest thing he had an ongoing issue he had health issues had throat can i don't know if it was cancer or a throat issue he had an operation you know why he was still with the beet farmers and then he had a uh, blood clot in his leg and uh, from what the story goes is that he, he 
started playing. And then as they were go, you know, the rest of the band started playing, he stopped playing the drums. I'm sorry, the drums. And then he, uh, all of a sudden, he started back again, and then he stopped and he collapsed. Um, hmm. Raleigh, uh, the bass player, is the one that was the first person to go over to him to see what was going on. And that, that's when he knew he was in trouble. And, you know, it was, it's what's crazy, about some of the stories that he knew about this issue. And his wife would uh, send him to the doctor, and, it's, and you know, but instead of going to the doctor, you'll go somewhere else. You know, might go to a record store or something like that and, and kind of uh, ignore the issue as, you know, time went on. So what did the autopsy reveal, or do we know? Uh, from what I remember, watching, there's a DVD called uh, Pay Up Cheaters. I think it was more of aneurysm than anything else. Mm. So if I remember right, but it, that blood clot just, you know, that's just what, you know, made his end. Yeah. And that was, that was essentially the demise of the band was they decided not to move forward without him. Correct. That is correct. Uh, in that, in that, um, uh, sense, that is correct. What basically the band now is called the farmers and that formed in about 2003 after country Dick Montana, uh, Joey Harris, when you know, who was uh, the, the, one of the guitar players, he did his own thing. Jerry Rainey you know, bounced around, did you know stuff with 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 uh, different players. And in fact, in probably in like 2002, Jerry and Joey came up with a band called Power Thug. And then um, 2003, when the Farmers came back, obviously I can put the beat back in it because the beat is gone. And I think that was the whole reason why they called themselves the Farmers with the same font and all that stuff on their record labels or their record covers. And Buddy Blue, the original guitar player, came back with Joey or Jared with Jerry and the original bass player, Raleigh, and formed the Farmers again. And they brought in the, a new drummer, Joel Kamak, who was originally a drummer for a band called The Penetrators, which was a big punk band down here in uh, the San Diego area. Okay. And um, Raleigh, and then Raleigh basically left. He had some demons that he had to um, take care of, and then that's when they brought in Chris Sullivan, who was the bass player for the Penetrators down here. And one thing what Jerry said about um, Chris is that he had over a hundred songs in his um, library of stuff that they could play. And then um, they brought in a gentleman by the name of Corbin Turner who sang. Basically, he sings all the country dick songs except Lucille. I think that's one song they do not play currently, you know, for whatever reason. So, gotcha. Um, I did want to ask you if you knew anything about uh, something that they put on their website. So they one of the one of the things they mention is after opening for the Blasters, they made the mistake of their lives by signing a seven record deal with Curb Records. So what's the what's the deal with Curb Records? Correct. Yeah, what's the deal with that? Well, Curb Records, uh, the, the the album that we're talking about today, Van Gogh, that's their first album. Basically, it's during those times, in the, and I can vouch with my dealing, with, you know, talking with my brother about this in the late '80s, early '90s. The uh, the whole thing as a band, you want to get that record deal, and you do basically almost sell your soul to it. And the biggest uh, issue that they had, for one, is that Curb was looking, they wanted a, they didn't really want Buddy Blues songs, and they thought that Country Dick Montana was a novelty. 
So in the, the music that they were looking for was uh, what they call um, your, uh, I think uh, the, the past, the last um, podcast with the, with the Reverend was talking about, they were looking for teen angst type of songs. Mm-hmm. They, they sent in over a hundred songs to MCA to put on their albums. And mo- most of them were rejected because they weren't anxious enough, if however I can uh, pronounce it. And uh, that, that really bothered Buddy. And that created a big rift within that band. Country Dick Montana didn't like it at all because he, you know, but he went with it. But, you know, there he was able to get two of you know his songs on each of the albums, except for one, I think, was just one. But it's um, it caused a rift and. They came out with uh, Van Gogh, then Porn Famous, and then um, Viking Lullabies, Manifold. They had a, a live album, which was a, a tape live at the Bacchanal. And uh, I remember what year that was. but And then they, uh, the, M- the MCA decided to put out that Greatest Hits album, which um, was not, I guess, authorized by the Beat Farmers. I asked Jerry about uh, that, and he goes, okay. I didn't know that he released it, so... And so basically, near the end, the last two albums, Viking Lullabies and Manifold, were just uh, not as up to par with the beef farmers. Basically, they signed it. They, they signed the contract. They realized what's going on, what they're asking the band to do, and it wasn't what they wanted to do. And so they basically, you know, they were disgruntled about it. They did what they could to get out of it. They were given a bunch of songs by other artists to sing, and um, they purposely... Uh, messed the songs up during recording so they just basically gave up on that particular song you know uh, there's one song a uh, big river that, that's on uh i think it's the pursuit of happiness album that he uh country dick purposely messed up on and that but it made the album though so i gotcha <laughs> how punk rock is that way that's pretty good yeah yeah so why don't we go track by track? Because I think that there's there's going to be definitely some more discussion on you know Jerry's influence and and Country Dick and and you will notice as we go track by track that there's actually there's three vocalists in the band. So Country Dick sings a couple of the songs, Correct. primarily yes, yeah, and then Jerry Rainey um, is on a number of songs, and then Buddy Blue who didn't even tour with the band. I guess he, he recorded these songs no. and, and then left. He left before the album was released. That's how disgruntled that he was. And he went on and did his own thing. He's a very rockabilly ish. That's his uh, uh, background. And he just got frustrated. And that's, and he said, I'm gone, you know, basically. And that's when, um, when they went on tour for this particular album, Joey Harris was the guitar player. He, uh, and, you know, in the, again, in the San Diego music scene, everybody knows everybody. Yeah. And everybody's influenced it because basically uh, Jerry, you know, played with uh, Joey in the past. Uh, Country Dick Montana was was uh, in a band prior, prior to this with Joey. And, you know, it was all a bunch of... Uh, there's all these tentacles of the music scene. Everybody's associated with somebody somehow in that scene out there. Right. Right. So, so who ended up singing going forward for the, for the live versions who ended up singing those songs? Was it Jerry or was it Joey? Uh, Joey did most of them. Okay. It was Joey because of his voice 
it, it relatively matched what um, Buddy had, you know, in his voice. I mean, it, um, and even though and live now with Jerry, he does a lot of the uh, the songs that Buddy sang, uh, like a Blue Chevrolet, which was a Buddy song. Mm-hmm. He did. He uh, sang that live now in the current you know, incarnation of the farmers. Gotcha. Okay. All right, uh, Wayne. Any any other questions to throw to Phil before we go track by track, or should we just dive in? I, let's dive in. Okay. Uh, actually, Phil, do you want to answer the Toto's Africa question, or sh- should we just dive in? No, we can. I can answer it, and I'm gonna, you know, be it's uh, it's. I'll be upfront with. I like the song. But I, as you know, I've uh, I do I drive Lyft and Uber, and I've been taking sort of impromptu uh, polls, and um, or probably about the few people that I asked is like three people like it, and one lady was very disgruntled about Toto's Africa. <laughs> um, I pulled my kids. My son loves it. He's twelve. He loves Toto's Africa. In fact, if we make a tour down to San Diego, we do what we call a uh, on YouTube, uh, everybody has a choice of song that we can search and listen to. And Toto's Africa is on, always is on his request list. Gotcha. My daughter, who's 17, going on 25, she hates it. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, so we're in 50 50. So there we go. All right. So, Wayne, you got at least two people for two. It's good. I need it. And I was going to say the three to one ratio is about <laughs> what Wayne is. Uh, is is at right now as well so it's about a three to one ratio in my favor that is yeah yeah Yeah, it's been a while since i've updated the toto tracker on on twitter so uh i'm a little behind on that but whatever (laughs) all right uh so as a reminder our scoring is based on number of songs on the record so wayne how many songs on this record 11 means our top song is going to get 11 points next favorite 10 points on down to lowest score of one here we go let's kick off van gogh with the song called riverside This is a Jerry Rainey song, so I'll I'll kind of keep track of and uh, and throw that out as as we go through because you'll you'll notice some very different vocalists, especially when we get to the country dick songs. Uh, very different vocalists, and if and you're going to know, uh, notice there's different writers for some of these songs, and I can uh, fill you in in regards to those writers and who they are if you need to as well. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so at first listen, uh, I thought, oh, this is a nice love song. I'm pretty sure this is not a love song, though, right? No. Well, first of all, it, it's Actually, so California. No, definitely not. It, it's definitely not. It's definitely uh, not a love song. Um, basically, if I'm, I'll tell you, it's, it's a drugs song. It's about the use of drugs. And 
when you sent me the um the, the lyric list the lyric list was wrong on one uh of the, the sections you talked about the broadway store or whatever it is it's yeah. actually called the broadway stone and that's in the city of riverside back in the 70s it was known as drug city gotcha. and a lot of the kids acid and pot and the broadway stone was the place and in in orange grows the place where they go and get high and that's what basically what the song is all about there you go. And uh, one of the notes that I took from their website was it said the song Riverside received some radio airplay. And then the band was asked to make a cheesy Budweiser radio commercial using the music from Riverside. So I don't recall the uh, the, the Budweiser commercial, so I'll take their word for it. Um, yeah. I, so, I don't recall. I don't recall. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, going back to what you were saying with the with the drugs. So my notes on the uh, the lyric of "But I got something that'll keep us warm," and I was like, "That's got to be drugs or alcohol, right?" Because I don't think they're talking about a warm blanket or That's a space heater. Not a, it's not a space heater. No, definitely not a space heater. It's it's a lighter, most likely. Right. But yeah, they you know, they did get a lot of natural natural airplay. In fact, this song was in. There's a movie called Rad. I don't know. I've never heard of it. It's in their sound. It's in that soundtrack. Okay. This song appeared. So that was, I, I, I learned that from uh, Jerry. And I was like, really? What movie is that? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> Wasn't that a BMX? A B- BMX. Yeah, it was a yeah. BMX bike movie. Yeah. So probably, what, 80, oh. probably at least in the early to mid 80s when the BMX fad fra- craze was going on. Yeah. But I love this song. It's so... It's so California with there's, I mean, there was like all of these things that you can hear in this song, like not only, uh, I mean, punk rock and new wave and rockabilly and it's, you know, alt country, you know, it's got a country tinge to it. It's got all these great sounds. I mean, like say just, you know, the bands that, I mean, Wall of Voodoo, X, all these bands, you can hear, you know, influences in there from them. And then, like I say, the lyrics, I love it. He, He spins it in this. So it seems like it's about, a love affair or, you know, or something, but it's so dark. Like, and that, that last verse is just, uh, it's just crazy with the, you know, saw your face in the gypsy's eyes. Uh, it's just, yeah, it, uh, it's just great. It's just, and it's so, it's just got this really dark and sinister feel to it, but just, uh, and I, uh, there's a part where it kind of gets quiet and slows down and you'll hear this, uh, it's it's like they've got the drumstick beating on the, the rim of the drum and then this really clean like steely yeah. guitar comes in. It's just a lot of cool stuff going on in this in this song. I love the ending. I know we're gonna talk about Neil Young on an upcoming song, but how Neil Young is that ending? Oh yeah, yeah. That's yes. I mean, that's one of the things you can hear in this song. It's just one of the many elements. I mean, he's the grandfather of alt rock. There was no or alt country. There was no alt country before there was Neil Young. No, agreed. No, it, it's and uh, the guitar riff at the beginning. I think, you know, nowadays that's the, always the last song, or usually the last song on the on the uh, the set. And uh, basically, that guitar riff at the beginning of the song that kind of wakes you up. That that riff defined, you know, with the guitar coming in and then all of a sudden the drums start start to play. That defined what you know the beat farmers at that time when that song came on. It was just like, you know, they lit up the lit up the crowd basically. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else on Riverside or should we get some scores on this? 
one thing I'll say before my score is this song also doesn't it for 1986. It holds up. You wouldn't necessarily, if you heard, I mean, hearing the song today, um, I had to, I had to check, I had to check the numbers and find out when this was, cause it, it holds up. This has a, this is, this has got, uh, it doesn't sound dated at all. Like I say, I may have referenced a lot of, you know, Southern California stuff from the, from the eighties, the mid eighties, but this song holds up. This is my favorite song on the record. All right. How about you, Phil? Your score? My score is a nine. All right. And this is my 10. All right. Leads us to next song, which is Deceiver. Opening riff of this song is very southern. Ah. Anyone hear a Georgia Satellites vibe to this? Uh, to the beginning riff, um, I didn't hear it, but I could see. I could I, say because I, I, I wrote down. Yeah, I got a very rootsy rock and roll sound. I, lo- I I commented on the opening riff too. Like I say, a lot of the elements from the previous song, but the kind of the country parts washed out a little bit. But uh, this is something edgy. You know, it's edgy and there's something edgy and sexy. There's something about how kind of stray cats kind of romantics hmm. feel. Yeah. I had a, I had a look at this up the, um, as far as what came first, this album or the self-titled Georgia satellites record. So surprisingly enough, both of these albums came out in 1986. So there you go. Um, we didn't, we didn't yeah, say time. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't say, so this is a Jerry Rainey song, correct? He's the one that sang it. It was written by a gentleman by a Kent by Ken Noble, um, and he was a, a very good friend of Jerry's. And um, it's um, it's basically it, he, the song is about a relationship where the lady cannot be trusted. And that's that's all it was uh, we got in regards to that. And uh, basically, Ken he was uh, succumbed to uh, lung cancer. He basically was a chain smoker. He smoked unfiltered camels from what jerry was saying but it was it was again about a relationship where the lady can be trusted she's gone looking for another you've got to make it past the gaze of her mother those were my that's the best line you've got to make it past the gaze of her mother that's the best line that's great what what else we got on this wayne what do you got on deceiver oh just i mean the same like i say the what we said before, it's got some great lines. It's yeah, it's clearly about uh, it's clearly a she she done me wrong. She can't be trusted. She's out running around all over town. But it just has a great it's another once again, the the a la the kind of the Smiths. There's this up tempo, really, you know, high energy music. And then when you look at the lyrics, 
they're even a little bit more they're all a little bit darker than they sound yeah yeah all right uh phil what's your score on deceiver it's a six okay and then wayne no i gave it a nine all right and this is my six as well leads us to powderfinger If the singer sounds a bit different, you are correct. That's Buddy Blue singing on this one, correct? Correct. And uh, yes, this is the cover of the great Neil Young song, Powderfinger, which uh, first appeared on Rust Never Sleeps from 1979. But here's here's the fun facts on Powderfinger. So he actually wrote this back in 1975. played this acoustically, sent the tape to his friend, Ronnie Van Zant of Leonard Skinner. And apparently they were going to use this song on their next record. Unfortunately, Ronnie Van Zant died in a plane, plane crash in October of 1977 mm. instead. So, um, and there's a really great version of this that you can hear on, um, I'm trying to remember, I think it's called Hitchhiker, which uh, is, um, just came out a few years ago. And it's a record that's mostly of old demos, um, but there's some really great stuff on it. And I digress because I already know I can, you already know that I can go on and on about Neil Young. So why don't we talk about the Beat Farmers? What do you guys think of this cover of Neil Young? I read the all music uh, review of it, and they said, and I completely completely agree with this. It sounds like Neil Young wrote it for them. They play it like they own it. They play it like it's their song, and it's and like I say, it's one of them. It's an extremely well written song. It's this it's this super cool story that I don't know. Is it steampunk? Is it civil war? What's you know? It, it just it's a great story. It's, with Neil Young uh, really pulls out all the stops, but, and I, I don't, the acolytes of Neil Young will not appreciate this, but I think this is, I prefer this version. All right. There we go. Gauntlet has been, I, I like it. I, I like it too. And um, just, you know, talking to Jerry about Powderfinger, the time, there was a time that when Neil Young played in San Diego, when he was on tour at the time, the beat farmers were in Winnipeg and there were, he had a friend that went to that concert. And he said that you know Neil Young mentioned the Beat Farmers, and the only thing they the only response that he got was he, he said they did a good job. So that's the only, <laughs> only thing I got in regards to Powderfinger from and that. So Neil's not exactly a man of many words. So if you if he if he actually Correct. said you did a good job, 
like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely that is a kudos and an attaboy for you. So this is my seven, Wayne. Well, this is my 10, and this is also the song I want to say I give. I've got a couple of songs that I don't, I'm not very kind to country Dick Montana, but this is the song where I really started to appreciate him as a drummer. He's nothing, he's not fancy or, or you know, super technical, but he keeps the beat and he's got a, he's, he's got a great, like a, 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 del, a deliberance to it. You know, I mean, he's deliberate in his drumming and it, mm-hmm. And this was the song where I, I heard I heard that drummer part of him. There you go. How about you, Phil? Your score? Yeah, Country Jake is very talented. My score is a four. All right. Uh, next song is Seven Year Blues. It's been seven long years since I first left this town. Buddy Blue also sings this one, correct, Phil? That is correct. And it was the only song ever that Country Dick Montana and Buddy Blue co-wrote. Wow. And I listened to some of the old their back catalog. This this sounds more like their back catalog, at least to me. Since you're the lifelong fan, Phil, is that is that fairly accurate? They had um tons of songs. In fact, before this out this the pursuit of happiness for example or the the van gogh they were playing these songs uh well before the album was released um in fact during the tales of the new west they were playing these songs so yeah they like these songs have been around into in their catalog for you know probably 83 84 they formed in 82 so it's a uh, yeah you know we go to the to their shows a lot of these songs even the next song and then uh that we're going to be listening to was in their catalog too, way back when it's just a matter of, uh, they have all these songs you get through the record contract and then you go on from there. So, but yeah, it, it, this is one of those songs that's been around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Wayne, what do you got on uh seven year blues? Uh, I don't have anything bad to say. I think uh, the it musically starts to mine some previously worked territory. Um, but when this is another one where, Somehow the story gets lost in in the in the the you know the rockabilly high tempo uh, music because when you when I read the lyrics I was like that's actually a pretty good I mean a very very good story you know this guy gets out of prison after seven years and his 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 girlfriend's moved on his best friend you know who's a Vietnam vet has some issues and ends up shooting a cop so there's this really uh, interesting story that you, I don't think you hear when you hear it all together. Yeah. And, and I'm ashamed to say that, uh, it's the, the, the character that you're referring to is named Ben. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you didn't sell drugs, did you? <laughs> no, never, never. No. 
and you know, talking you know, talking to Jerry about this, what he remembers is it's based on a, again a fictitious character. As guy again, he went to jail. I think it was for selling dr- drugs. He lost yep, his job. Selling weed. He moved on and got pregnant. All right. yeah, that, and that's you know, that's so uh, the whole story behind it. So. There you go. All right. Um, so so Phil, your score on this one eight. And then Wayne, uh, three. And this is my five. Which leads us to the first of two car songs. Uh, this is Blue Chevrolet. In the space lodge lounge, in watch, no shoes, no service. As the blades hit the ground, the two week notice just blew into town. There goes a red legend in a blue Chevrolet. This is another Buddy Blue song, correct? That's correct. That's correct. And songwriting credits are who? Paul Kamansky. He was a, uh, a local. He wrote a lot. He had his own you know, bands here and there in the San Diego area. Wrote a lot of the Beat Farmer songs. I mean, a lot of them. And uh, this is one of them. And uh, it was basically, well, back at Paul, Paul Kamansky. Back in the 80s, had a band called Comanche Moon. And he did. He opened up for the farmers one of the shows, and he did his version of Cinnamon Girl. Obviously, another Neil Young influence, and I thought it was a lot better than Neil Young's Cinnamon Girl. So that's what I know. And um, but the story goes, I mean, it's it's actually based on a place in Gila Bend, Arizona. There's a, um, I think I sent you the picture of it. It's a space lodge hotel with like a little spaceship up on this pin and they got parked right in front there's an old 55 chevy with no windows and no headlights mm. and it talks about just that area you know between the eight and the ten you know south of phoenix and north of tucson basically what that story is about so 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 the 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 lyric of broke down in bedrock canyon dropped the clutch and pressure plate um you know the redhead took two courts so that's there is a bedrock canyon I believe so. That's, that's when I got that far. I I haven't found that information. It was a picture that I saw on their on their website about with a Chevy parked in front of the uh, Space Lodge Lounge, and oh, and I found it was Gila Bend, Arizona. Excellent, excellent. And I'm thinking that was probably a, a sec, section on that part of the freeway near Gila Bend. It's basically what it is: is a sub freeway or sorry. Off the, you take your ten, get off of that, and it connects you to the Interstate Eight, and that's where this particular area is at. It's middle of nowhere. <laughs> gotcha, Wayne. Anything on um, Blue Chevrolet? Um, and once again, like the last song, they the details aren't thick enough for it to stand out. But when you read them, um, it's this great, you know, adventure. And then the last verse is about, you know, the guy kind of present day and. Uh, what is it? I went on vacation out on Interstate 10. The heat's getting to you. So's the wife and the kids. 
you know, rise up off the blacktop like a pagan god and blow up, blow on by you like some barrage. Like he get this car is, you know, like his escape and it, it transports him back to those times. And so there's a really, once again, an interesting story that somehow it, it's just not, it doesn't get out when it's, when the song is played. It seems like if you're in a, if you're driving on a vacation with the family and the, you know again the wife and kids are just you know bothering you, you kind of it's like the movie Vacation with Christy Brinkley, you know Chevy Chase is kind of uh, in La La Land and sees and he's, then all all of a sudden he cut, snaps out of it and he sees his wife and he sees the kids in the back seat. It's almost something like that. <laughs> All right. So, so since this, uh, this record came out in 86, so one of the questions that I know that we used to ask each other back in the day, so you guys a Chevy or are you a Ford man? I'm a Ford man. But you, Phil? Chevy. Chevy? Okay. I'm a Chevy man. Only, yeah, only reason being is because my ex-wife's husband is a Ford person. So. Gotcha. All right. All right. Well, I got I got to go with the sentimental favorite of being a, a Ford guy because my my very first car, Maverick, the Ford Maverick, nineteen seventy. That's that's a hot car. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not true, but you could say I named my son after that car. That was was it. I'm gonna go with but it. That's what I named I, him after Tom Cruise and Top Gun. But uh, Bedrock Canyon is east of Las Vegas. There you go. All right. Power Actually, quite a, quite a ways east. The power of Google. Okay. All right. In Arizona. This is my three, Wayne. Four. This is my four. And then Phil. Five. All right. Next song is I Want You To. I've been around some bars in my time. I know what fun is, and I think it's fine. But I'd like to think of us as a pair Now don't you test my cool Won't be nobody's fool I'd sooner kick his ass Cause I want you to I want you to be here by me I love you so, oh darling, can you see? I want you to be here by me Already had enough Don't wanna play your blood yeah this is uh this is a country dick song so you've had jerry and buddy uh so far you absolutely know a country there's no mistaking there's no mistake no mistake so so phil i yes. want to go i want to go back to what you were talking about of the you know why were you guys not you know big so i kind of have this theory of so my introduction to the Beat Farmers was definitely the song Happy Boy. And I was actually surp- kind of surprised initially when I'm diving through this record and I hear Buddy and I hear Jerry's voices. Um, so do you think that the fact that people may have been like me and thought, oh, Happy Boy is either A, a novelty song, or B, all of your songs must sound like happy boy with that really deep country dick voice. And I don't want to listen to that. Like, I, I don't know if I would want to listen to an entire record of country dicks voice. And it's funny. It's funny you say that. Cause he released an album way back when doing covers of, uh, 
Boy George and Led Zeppelin and uh, one other stuff and some of the other stuff he wrote on his own. But um, like I said, Curb considered Country Dick as a novelty. Mm-hmm. And he really didn't want any of his songs on them, you know, but, and my scores for the two songs that he um, performed on this album are very low. And the re- and the reason being is that on the album itself, it does not um, define who country Dick is as a performer. It was basically is a song that he performed Yeah, and um, going to the concert and seeing him perform these songs. I'm, on YouTube, you can go on and all these songs that he performed and what kind of uh, showman that he was. It made it more fun, I guess, to uh, not necessarily sing the songs, but his actions on stage and what he's doing. Right. Um, and that's and that when they're when they're cruising across the country touring, and a lot of them were probably college towns and stuff like that. They, you know, the, the large following was based on Country Dick and his showmanship on stage and what he was doing. I mean, if you look up the uh, song um, Lucille on YouTube and watch that video and what he does on there with the bottle of Jack Daniels and sing that song, I mean, it's it's um, it's just it's just it's just crazy, and that's what attract, how they got that following. I think that we probably had more people are going to see in their shows and they sold albums. I mean, just off the top of my head, yeah. but again, um, the album itself doesn't justify the performance and the, uh, the creativity that country Dick had. Gotcha. Well, and, and if you all are turned off by, you know, country Dick's voice, the good news is this is the shortest song on the record at a minute and 58. And then, yeah. the, and then the other country Dick song is, also the second shortest song on the record, but we'll get there in a few songs. So there you go. Yes. Wayne, what do you, what do you got on? I want you to, it's not his voice. It's it, um, spoiler alert. My lowest two scores are both the country Dick Montana songs. It's not his voice. It's um, it's the style of the songs. They do come off as an, as novelty songs, especially the last one. Yeah. This one to a degree, but this one had at least some wordplay in it, um, so I gave it the deuce. But there is a novelty feel to the to the songs themselves. Nothing to do with with uh, with him or his voice per se. And and that's all I got. Yeah, yeah. This is my deuce as well. And uh, Bill, what do, what do you got for? I want you to. Uh, it's my deuce as well, and it's it's uh, going back. It's the it's one of the songs that Joey Harris, his introduction to the Beat Farmers, him and Country Dick wrote this song. Okay, um, you know, back with uh, Country Dick is that again? He's a novelty, you know, or he was a novelty, and but that's what was his uniqueness and his creativity. I mean, people wanted to hear and see what he does on stage on so many songs, and it's like a. Okay, it's like it's like, it's like being baptized or whatever. It's like for me being stepped on by Country Dick Montana in the six foot four frame and all that weight on my foot. It's like you know, was reborn. I guess I don't know. Yeah. Did did the considering that you know we're at the end of side one here, and so you've got the Country Dick song at the end of side one. Um, side two, 
no surprise, the last song on the record is also a country dick song. So was the record throwing them some bones of letting the country dick songs be on the record, but kind of buried burying them. Yeah. Well, if, if you go through their whole catalog and it tells it in the West in, in particular, which was on the, uh, on a different label. Um, the last song on the first side was the country Dick Montana song. And the last song hap- was happy boy on the mm-hmm. second side. Uh, Pursuit of happiness. I believe definitely the last song was a country Dick Montana. This is how I think it was planned on, in regards to the mixing, okay. but I'm not sure if it was the record label label making that decision since uh, the previous, the very first album, it, they had that same type of uh, lineup, I guess, you know, placement for those songs. I think it's just to end it in that one side really good or, or in the side and then come back at the end of the whole album, end it again there with something kind of uh, cheesy and novelty issues. It's like, what yeah. did I listen to? Yeah. What was that? You know, that type of thing. Right. All right. Well, let's, let's flip the record over. So this is first song on the second side. This is Road of Ruin. Phil, get us started on this. What um, I'm thinking it was, it's, it's, uh, I'm thinking it was like a protest song against how life and people can bring you down. Uh, the only answer is go out and party and give yourself a little, little fun, little comfort there. Basically, it's basically the message I'm looking at is that forget about what happened in the past, live for now. Is what it is. I mean, we, you know, I think the road for road to ruin is that we do things that we are questionable and we there's a lot of regret regrets in the past that we have had but what, let's forget about that and just live for right now and go from there moving on right uh this is a jerry rainey song we didn't uh we didn't touch on that who the singer, singer was so i i just want to say this um and this is a big compliment to the band because i googled to make sure that this wasn't a bird song originally. Cause it, it, yeah. it totally sounds like a bird song it's, to me. It's funny that you say that. Cause you know who I, and not that I, I felt like it sounded like uh, specifically this song or, you know, this guy, but it absolutely reminds me of Dave Edmonds version of girl talk of girls talk by Elvis Costello. Oh. It has a super, punk or not punk but pub rock you know the rock pile with uh, nick Lowe and dave edmonds and mm-hmm. it just has that which makes a lot of sense for the time and i mean if you're going to be influenced and 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 all the different influences that they use it just didn't shock me but that's ex- absolutely this jangly guitar and the way the and the way 
he sings it. It absolutely reminded me of Dave Edmonds. Yeah. Okay. I can totally see that. All right. Anything else on uh, Road of Rune? Should we get some scores? Let's do the scores. Phil, what's your score? That's my 11. All right. And then Wayne? I gave it an eight. Another one that's lyrically uh, darker than it than it than the beat would would let you believe. There you go. And this is my nine. And next song, our second car song, "Buy Me a Car." This is a Jerry Rainey sung song. Uh, second song about cars, like I just mentioned. Um, and I am I just mentioned that I'm a Ford guy, and they mentioned that the Ford is dead. So <laughs> at least the Chevy is still running, right? It's The Chevy is smoking, but uh, the Ford is dead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. New clutch. <laughs> yeah. That's your plate. Yeah, and and if you want a anatomy of of a car, uh, just read uh, one of the one of the verses where he talks about chrome and rubber and rack and pinion and all that good stuff. So there you go. Um, this is not a super memorable song for me. Um, I had to keep coming back to this one because I was like, "What was that one again?" Oh, oh yeah. So not one of my not one of my more favorites. Um, Wayne, I think your score was a little higher than, than mine and Phil's was. Yeah, yeah. And you want to know why? Because it made me, it reminded me of being 16 and only wanting a car. Like, not just that that desire to drive and to have a car. And, and even, and a, you know, the Maverick with the seat that wouldn't stay up was a spare tire in the back. I don't believe the defro- the defroster fan didn't work. So we had to keep the windows rolled down in the pouring rain uh, and cold. But yeah, we, I don't remember any of us complain. We might've complained, but you, you drove it like it was, like it was a brand new Cadillac. So it, it made me, the song kept, it kept reminding me of that, of that feeling in that time. Yeah, that well, I got what I paid for. I paid one hundred and fifty dollars for that car, so I got what I paid it was, for. Yeah, it was it was a legend. Just True keep, legend. Just keep in mind that had a three hundred two in it. I, I have yet to complain about that car. I love that car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> ugly, yeah, ugly. My, yeah, ugly my first car was a Pontiac Grand Prix. <laughs> All right, all right. Yeah, yeah. I had a Pontiac Grand Prix in nineteen seventy six one, and it and it was a. 454 in it gas guzzling nice. and i paid 500 bucks for it there but <laughs> and you got like four Back miles then. per gallon but right? yeah i'm gonna up downhill with a strong wind basically yes yeah but i'm gonna, I'm gonna uh cry on the on the uh your, your thoughts about this album it's not necessarily it's not really about a car it's um it's about, you know, Jerry Randy had this, it, was, it goes back when Jerry was 16 or 17, and it was about this um, guy 
he played. He was a bass player in a San in a band in San Diego called Boxman. And um, it, his girlfriend was rich and a little, I guess what Jerry said, a little chunky. And basically, he used her for her money. And uh, they were they were called the Boxman because they had an endless, incredible stage full of Boxman amps and equipment that she bought for the band. <laughs> you know, she bought the stage clothes and whatever they could do to look good and all that stuff. Basically, like a sugar mama. He was working on her to buy him a car. And he was basically describing what he wants. And uh, the, the guy, the bass player, was pout, was like a spoiled little brat and pounding that that uh, he needs, you know, trying his best to get his way. And she was like, it was one of the things that she said she wasn't, wasn't going to do. Hence the last, you know, the last verse of the uh, the song. And it um, Gary had this in his mind since he was like 16 or 17. And he didn't write it long until the Bee Farmers, you know, became a, a band and all that stuff. So basically that's what the song is, is about. Gotcha. Love, love, love the bio info. All right, um, Wayne, what do you got for a score? A six. And then Phil? I got a three. And then this is my four. And then next song is Gun Cell at the Church. This is a Buddy Blue song, um, and you already know that I'm a sucker for harmonies. This has some great harmonies. I love this song. This is my highest score. Um, keep in mind that this song came out in 1986. Has this any, is the one that I, anything I feel changed? bad. <laughs> this is the one I feel bad about my score. Like I wish I had some more other, some eights and some nines, because I actually love this song. Um, I love how it's not novelty. It's so sarcastic and smart assy. And I just I I wish I I didn't yeah. That's one of the great things about this album is you take out those two country Dick Montana songs and maybe throw in another Jerry Roney song. And I, I am surprised they're not bigger either. And I think Curb, which was a country label. I mean, they could this one, if you put a steel guitar, a pedal steel guitar in this thing, this thing would have this people would have not got the joke and this thing could have climbed the country charts in 1986. <laughs> could not have gotten the joke. Right. It could have. It's, you know, and this, this is you know, a really, really cool song, but you know, the song was, you know, buddy had this song and performing this song way, way back in probably the early eighties. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the song really one of the songs that kind of got in the record contract originally with Rhino. Yeah, but it but it was one of the songs that was put on the um, the Van Gogh album, and this is one of the only songs that actually the record company liked to put on the album from Buddy. Interesting. The bio of the song is is really it's more tongue in cheek, just like what you're saying, Wayne. It's basically it's um, it's it's aimed at all the southern states that were you know they were 
the Don Fear and folks in the South and out to have a good time. And, uh, and but then again, they really promote their uh, rights for the Second Amendment and all that stuff. Um, you know, that, you know, the whole thing, thou shalt not kill, kill and take a back seat, basically. Right. No, basically, that's what it is. It's a tongue in cheek. And it's like one of those things like, you know, here, here's the Southern, the Southern Baptist folks that are, you know, pretty, you know uh, preaching love thy neighbor, but, you know, have that gun. And if the neighbor comes over in a, in a, in a uh, negative way, then they're going to use that gun. You know? <laughs> yeah. The line of, well, my two main men are Jesus and, <laughs> and John, Birch. John Birch. So you gotta, John Birch. yeah, you got to love the Jesus yeah. and you got to love the anti-communist stuff. Cause you know, that's, yeah. that's what the John Birch society was all about was anti-communism. And again, look at when this was when was this was made? This was eighty six. Was peak Cold War period, wasn't it? So. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I just yeah, like yeah, say this... that was the Reagan era. Reagan oh, era. Yeah. oh yeah. All right. I already mentioned this is my top score. So uh, Wayne, what do you got? I, I like I say. I sadly give it a seven, uh, but it is more of a reflection of how how strong the album actually is. Because uh, this is this is a great song. That's great. And then Phil, your score? A seven. All right. Next song is Bigger Fool Than Me. So next song is uh, Bigger Fool Than Me, and Buddy Blue sings this one. And this was one of those songs that when I f- first listened to this record, I had it as low as like my three. And then the more I listened to this record, this song really grew on me. I really grew to to to, to really dig this song. Um, Phil, what do you what do you like about Bigger Bigger Fool Than Me? I, I like the the way the song is put together, the musical, the, 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 the lyrics and how it's sung is basically how I enjoyed it. Cause this is one of my top songs. Jerry performs the song every once in a while when, uh, with the, with the farmers currently. And it's just the way, the way everything is put together, musical music, musically, the, the lyrics and how it's sung, the, ver- the you know, it's just, flows so well i mean i i can uh, it's the same with the road for ruin it's just how everything's put together i'm you know i'm personally not a lyrical person i just like how the music sounds all together you know so but you know this is one of the songs that um it was written by the farage brothers um i'm not sure back in the 80s they were they were known as dfx2 and they had some uh airplay on mtv with some of their uh videos they um what well, they're kind of local twins duo guitar singers that in the san diego area so i'm open up for the farmer beat farmers a couple of times a lot of talent and um 
to once and they 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 play every once in a while. But right now they're up in that Wayne's neck of the woods. I think it's Ballard, Washington. I think is where they're at right nice. now. Nice. There you go. You know they have they have a legitimate business. But you know when you're up there and you just look them up, they might be performing some of the local dive bars or whatever it is. You know, basically two twins playing guitar. Yeah, but they had um, quite a following down in San Diego when they were around. But I guess they took legitimate uh, business or uh, jobs and had to uh, pay the bills. Interesting. Interesting. I could see. I could see a band like Brooks and Dunn or oh, you know, Montgomery Gentry doing this song. I got two words for you. Dwight Yoakam. Oh, I could totally see Dwight having this a hit is, with this. Yeah, this has that. Yeah, I when I was listening to this, I was like, God, I wish somebody should get this to Dwight Yoakam. He would he would kill this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Let me throw in a Dwight Yoakam uh, story. Um, Dwight Yoakam was influenced a little bit by the Beat Farmers back in the day. There was a time they were playing in the mid the beef farmers playing in the Midwest and way back in the early eighties, probably about eighty-five, eighty-six ish or so. And um, Dwight Yoakam in his infancy opened up for them. And Jerry was quoted as saying that um, that he heard his voice and he just like, wow, this this guy's gonna go somewhere. There's um, I know I know where we can we can edit parts of this out, but there's so many influences that the beef farmers had on different bands that you have heard of in the past, like Los Lobos, uh, Concrete Blonde, you know those type of bands out there. Even the even the Blasters, for example, you know even though this the beef farmers haven't really came uh, came really as big as those bands, but they had some sort of influence. You know, regards you know, regards to Smithereens is another one, another one of those bands. Yeah. You know, that we have um, that we listened to in the past that had some sort of um, influence by the beach farmers or vice versa. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Uh, scores. This is my eight. So it climbed all the way from three to eight. Uh, Wayne, your score? Uh, yeah, five. But like I say, everything there was a there was a big drop off from from three to two. But there's not a it's very close, you know, seven, eight. Seven six five four. There you go, Three. Phil. It's a it's a ten for me. There you go, and then let's wrap this up with big ugly wheels. Each night she's with another truck stop man that's carrying a heavy load. She wants me to be true to her. She comes home once a month. Her mustache caked with vomit and teeth marks on her butt. Well, big ugly wheels rolling on down the line. Big ugly wheels dragging that gallon by. And yeah, this is another country dick song and totally my least favorite one. Um, I just never got into this song. Uh, maybe it's the reference of her mustache caked with vomit and her teeth marks on her butt. Um, yeah, I just, 
Yeah. yeah, I'm not a prude, but it, it was like vogue. It was like a big fart joke, and it and it just never. I listened to it maybe once or twice, and then I just skipped it the rest of the time because I I got everything out of it that I was gonna get, and I I knew it was my least favorite score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit, you know, again, you go back to the whole novelty-ness of the uh, of country dick, and you know, it's uh, basically it's a song about this. Um, one dude that's very uh, attached to this one gal and all she does is goes to the truck stops. And, you know, these country Dick Montana songs are one of the shortest ones on, on the, uh, the album, but if you ever see them live, they'll go on for 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what, you know, again, the, 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 listening to his songs on the album versus going to see him live is in t- two different worlds, basically. There you go. All right. Well, this is my least favorite, Wayne. I say. Yeah. And then Phil, your score. Ditto. Number one. Yeah. Or one. There you go. All right. Um, anything else that you want to bring up since you've you've got all the background information on the beet farmers? Anything that we missed that we didn't cover during our analysis here? Well, the album cover, I want to talk a little bit about the album cover. That's actually Jerry Rainey's van i forget what year it was and he had the, the bond galvanized a big, big old engine in it and they took that on tour across the country a couple of times you know during the um the tales of the new west thing and you know basically what the story goes he woke up one morning it was frosty outside in san diego which is rare and basically he took his finger and wrote the beat farmers on it some a friend of his took a picture well actually he took a picture because he's a, he likes photography, and then um, that became the album cover. It's one of those uh, unique things. I, I was surprised that they really uh, allow, you know, were able to get that by without somebody else putting some other ideas through it. But that's the whole idea behind the uh, the album cover. There you go. Um, and you know, the only other things that you know that you know bring up is uh, there's so many again, so many influences that the beach farmers either had or had it. They were. Uh, you know, Harry Schur of The Simpsons, his favorite song was uh, California Kid. And every once in a while during production of The Simpsons, he would play that. And there was one, what the heck is the song from? They have uh, had some um, movie appearances in the, with their songs. A lot of the songs were, were curb, uh, uh, which you call it, um, music, um, curb music songs. Like, for example, the, uh, the teenage, you know, Teen Wolf. Major League, Garbage Pail Kids, and then Rap. And there was talk about the song Happy Boy going into Dumb and Dumber mm. as one of the songs on the soundtrack. But, you know, as with, um, but I think what happened is that Matthew Sweet decided, came in and knocked off Happy Boy and put up one of his songs instead. So, yeah. But yeah, they, you know, it, it's, you know, I, t- I asked Jerry, is that if with how the music business, the, the music industry has, evolved from then where everybody was fighting to get that big record contract to now where everybody is keeping their own stuff and, you know, trying to, to do it independently, which, you know, as the farmers, which they do, they re- release all of their, their, they have three albums out themselves. They have their own merchandise and all that. So they control all the stuff. If that environment was during in the eighties, how successful would they be? And 
he wasn't sure about thinking that, you know, it, it would have been without the internet, it would be much more of a challenge than what they got during that time. Yeah. But if they, you know, do the same thing with those songs now, shoot, you know, with all the way the internet is, they could be a lot bigger than what people would, uh, you know, you know, ex- you know, think of them as. They, I guess, you know, like, for example, uh, when I first started listening to the, the podcast, Carolyn Spence, you know, I got really big on her, but it was all basically what she was trying to say. And then, uh, then, then the, the last out, the last one, Casey, you know, really is like that. That her interview really got to me too. It's like because it all hit home. But anyway, so that's you know, all I got on the on the farmers. I really the uh, when um, Country Dick left us in '94. It was like you know for me, it, it bothered me when I heard that. And then and, and hearing later on that Buddy Blue passed away in 2003, I think it was for from cancer. And uh, it was uh, that that hurt me too because here are these figures from when I was in college and high school that were roaming around San Diego, kind of like heroes to me. They're gone. As they put a kind of little perspective and what life is about too. So yeah, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's that's how I felt when Chris Cornell died because he was the god of Seattle. To- totally, yeah. get, totally get it. All right. Uh, any guesses on what our top five looks like? How, what do you think our number one song is? Riverside. Riverside. I say Riverside. Yep. Riverside got an average score of 10, followed by Road of Ruin. That's our, our second score with a 9.3. Gun Sale at the Church. Uh, I kind of kicked that up because that was my top score. So that was third. Bigger Fool Than Me was our fourth. Uh, and then we had the tie for fifth so deceiver and Powderfinger tied for for fifth with the average score of seven and no surprises um big ugly wheels and i want you to our bottom two songs so sorry country dick uh yeah, yeah. nothing personal nothing personal uh, yeah again it goes back you have to see the for all those folks out there who are not you know never heard of the beat farmers or any of um, their songs, you know, go on YouTube. All those songs are, you know, they have performed live for, you know, there's live uh, feeds and all that stuff on there. But look, watch, look for the Country Dick Montana ones. And you, you appreciate what the songs are not necessarily about, but I guess why they're on the album. You know, the, the, again, it's a, for me, it was like a religious experience to go see Country Dick Montana perform these songs. Yeah. And the song that you really need to pay attention to, what really defined Country Dick Montana was the song Lucille. You have to go in, you have to watch that. Gotcha. Phil, this was great. Thank you very much for yeah. bringing this up to our attention and doing this deep dive. I'm sure, I don't know if there's any podcasts out there that have done a deep dive on on, beat, on the beat farmers. So thank you for uh, continually messaging me and, and uh, we finally got you on. It's a pleasure. It was a, it was an honor to be on. It's um, especially being the first I guess fanboy on your podcast. <laughs> you know, it's it's really cool. I mean, you know, and I'm hoping that I, I'm just hoping that you'll be able to get some of the of the, of the players involved. Uh, you know, the I guess you're going to ask the question: Who do you who do I know that you don't? 
uh, that I'm working on. It's one of those things where you can you can lead the horse to water, but can you make them drink it? You know, I sent you the information for Jerry. I can get you um, working on Chris Sullivan, who's the current bass player for the for the uh, um, the Farmers. But I think Wayne, you really dig him because he's a punk rocker himself. Played for the uh, the Penetrators. Uh, Joel Kamak, the drummer for the Farmers. He's was a drummer for the Penetrators. He's another punker, but he really both of them really have some knowledge on music itself. You know the. Uh, and hopefully that will lead on to some of the other players, like the, the Frage brothers, for example, up in your area. Uh, Mojo Nixon will be another one because Mojo opened up a lot of concerts for the farmers. Yes. And uh, have, you, have you guys heard of Mojo Nixon? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Elvis is everywhere. Yeah. There's, there's one, uh, the first album with Skid Roper, there's one called uh, Jesus at McDonald's at Midnight. Oh, yeah. And all it was... A guitar and a spark, big old sparklets bottle yeah, as percussion. But um, the one thing um, that concert I went to when that country fixed up on my toe, uh, Motion Nixon opened up for them. And there was nobody standing at the rail. We're normally, you know, everybody would crutch about it. Everybody's got these kazoos out waiting for Happy Boy to be performed. And everybody was back a few feet. And what I learned is that when Motion Nixon sings, he spittles a lot. Uh, it's like you like don't want to get a shower, so you stand so far back. But that, but that guy, that guy is super, super creative. And you know, uh, Joey Harris might be an option too. He's a very talented individual. I saw him in one of his bands called Joey Joey and the Mentals, and he plays a lot of the Beat Farmers songs from uh, Pursuit of Happiness and, and on. And uh, Mojo Nixon was um, a guest guitar player on a lot of the, a lot of his gigs too. So it's. It's still San Diego is a very um, diverse musically, but everybody knows everybody basically in this town and everybody knows the farmers and everybody knows Jerry Rainey. You know, some of the people from there's two guys from the Iron Butterfly knows Jerry Rainey. Uh, Ray Davies may know uh, Jerry Rainey since Jerry's a big old Kings fan. You know, so. Gotcha. And just remember, if you go to a record store and um, they don't have Mojo Nixon, then your store could use and their record store needs some fixing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I couldn't get the, I couldn't get the line out quick. Enough. They're, 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 I was, I was, I was going to do it. I didn't know you were, you had, I had it chambered up. I shouldn't have waited. There, there's a record store in ocean beach in San Diego area that has all the beat farmer stuff. You can get your hands on all the local stuff that hasn't been released or maybe on demos and things like that. And they do have a lot of Mojo Nixon stuff because the you know, Mojo was originally a San Diego East County guy. Very cool. So it's, um, you know, fortunately there's still record stores out there. There's one in my area, two in my area and two in San Diego that are big name that are still, even with this whole COVID thing, are still chugging along, you know, selling these records. And, and every once in a while I'll find a beat farmers album. That's, um, basically wrapped up still in plastic granted I have to pay 20 bucks for it but still it's like i can have 17 versions or 17 uh of the same album but i got it <laughs> there you go all right so, uh, let, let's let's wrap this up so as a reminder you can find all of our old episodes go to recordsrevisitpodcast.com find all of our happenings on our social media I'm manning the Facebook page and our Twitter account at Podcast Records. 
by the way, Wayne, um, I tried to register records revisited on Twitter. Too many characters. <laughs> Too many characters. All right. Uh, Wayne, Wayne is manning the Instagram page. And of course, you can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show, buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, visit a record store, and not just on record store day. Um, since record stores are coming back and live shows are coming back, please go support the arm, our, our musicians and our, our local record stores. They're going to need us. We are records revisited and we are out. Out. Out.